Welcome to TSG Talk. TSG Talk aims to contribute positively towards the care of an injured casualty or vulnerable patient. If your goal is to maximise your input for the people you care for, then TSG Talk is for you. Our podcast will interview colleagues who are at the cutting edge of their professions. Often they're involved in creating solutions for areas that historically have proven difficult or have a wealth of experience in a particular complex response. Each podcast will provide unique, engaging content. At TSG Associates, we will always strive to ensure our solutions are ahead of the curve and positively impact on the quest for prioritising survival and minimising suffering. We believe TSG Talk will complement our vision and provide a platform to enhance your response. It is my pleasure to now pass you across to our host, Senior Partner at TSG, Colin Smart. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the first edition of our new podcast, TSG Talk. And tonight's subject is It Hurts When You Break Your Pelvis. Understanding the needs of a patient is critical to all of our innovations, and learning from somebody who's actually been injured is, is of huge benefit. With this in mind, let me introduce our guest tonight. James Boyd, our key account manager from TSG Associates, has a captivating story to tell, and there's many lessons for us to consider and, and learn from. So, good evening, James. Hi there, Colin. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, all good, thanks. Thank you. James, um, before we go into the subject tonight, can you let tell our listeners um, a little bit about your background and maybe specifically your experience with horses? Oh, yeah, of course, Colin. Um, so, I suppose really going back to a very early age, my, my father was in the army. He was in a cavalry regiment. He'd ridden all his life and he, he did it competitively. So there were always horses or ponies around. We had a couple of Welsh mountain ponies when we were kids. And I suppose it was the then sort of adrenaline rush hit thing that we did as kids. Then you know, we went out hunting, we went out pony club, gym carnas, all those types of things. Cross country events where you're racing around, jumping over jumps, doing cross countries. And then I was in the army, again, same cavalry regiment, although I didn't do the ceremonial side. And I carried on doing hunting and I was lucky enough to learn to play polo, although I never played it competitively. And also had uh, the opportunity to ride a couple of racehorses, uh, not in races, but and the adrenaline and the speed that those things can do is just phenomenal and you do get off with the most amazing adrenaline rush so yeah i mean it's it's something i've grown up with uh, and i guess rather like riding a bike or you know when, when you go skiing it's like yeah right come on jump on and off we go and you can do it anywhere you know around the world i've ridden in america in australia uk obviously and it's one of the, just one of those things that you know it's, it's great fun to do so it sounds like you um, you're a very accomplished uh, horseman from from the, the background you've been you've been just telling us about. I don't know about accomplished, but um, I, I was confident. Like I said, yeah. I, I, if somebody said, "Oh, do you want to ride whatever?" Yeah, absolutely. Chuck on a hat, jump on, and uh, get, give it a whiz, give it a whirl, and and just go out and enjoy and have have fun doing it. But I, I never did it competitively at a, at any level, really. Okay, fascinating. So, James, um, can you just tell us um, about the actual accident itself up to the point where you, you actually got injured? Yeah, 
Well, I suppose it, it started in the morning and uh, <laughs> I, was, I was getting dressed. I put on a polo shirt um, just as a T-shirt to wear. And I remember thinking, God, you know, I've actually had you rather a long time, about 10 years. Maybe I ought to get rid. Um, and went down to the yard and I was, I was riding a, an ex-show jumper that day. And we were just going out instead of um, round an arena we were going to go out for a hack so go out around the country lanes and just just something different a bit of variety and we went out I don't know 40 odd minutes um, three four miles something like that and she was quite bouncy the whole time and we we met some folk at the end of a lane and we're talking to them and I suppose at that point I ought to have taken note because while she was fidgety she actually put in a very small rear so probably she went up on her back feet, front feet, probably only about a foot off the ground. But it was a, a sign of sort of she wanted to get on and I should have listened. And I, I, I did hoist it on board. And when we were going back, I thought, right, OK, I'm going to take her in this field, big open grass field and just let her have a blat and go flat out. And got to the field. And unfortunately, they'd started digging it up to, to build more houses as is so, so much the way these days and so unfortunately she wasn't able to get it out of her system so it was about quarter of a mile from there back to the entrance to the yard and we just walked back fairly casually um, it was a nice summer's day and at the bottom of the drive uh, which is a tarmac drive the owner of the yard was there a uh, 78 year old woman and she, again, just conversation, how was the ride? Now, the drive was on a very slight incline, minor, but just enough. And whilst I was talking to her, the horse started getting a bit fidgety again. And suddenly from nowhere, she put in a massive rear and went right up on her back legs. It's similar to, I suppose, if you jump on a bike, or ride over a jump on a bike, you, you lean forward. Or if you on skis, if you do a jump, you, you lean forward. And on a horse, it's no different. You, you lean forward. She reared right up and I went right forward. And then there was a point where you would normally come back down again. And I my interpretation of it, but because I think we're on an incline, that point where you normally start coming back down again, We'd already gone past, and there was that horrendous thought um, flash through my mind: we're going over backwards. And she was a big old girl, and I hit the tarmac first. First thing that hit the tarmac was my elbow, and my left hand was bunched in a fist, and that was the first contact when I punched myself in the chops. <laughs> Second contact was my backside. And um, she came down right between my legs and she was a big old girl to do it. And that was my pelvis. And she broke my pelvis in three places. She then got up and um, did a bit of a tap dance and dragged me a bit up the, the drive. And in the process of that, I, I, uh, somewhere along the line, I also got a fractured hip socket and sort of cut some bruises from horses hooves over my legs. Fortunately, if there is a force, I actually ended up in the recovery position on my side. I was wearing a helmet and it was just supporting my head perfectly. I didn't have to use any muscle. It just rested there. And I had this very strange sensation. 
of if I just got stood up, it was like a dead leg in the backside. If I stood up and shook my leg off, it would all be okay. But a little voice said, just stay on a tarmac. Help's going to come. And that's what I did. All right. Fascinating story. And, and I think um, if you look at any mechanism of injury, when we assess how seriously in, that injury could be, that you've got to see it, that, that that's a significant mechanism of injury that, that you've had to, to cause the injuries that, that you sustained. So, James, James um, can, can you tell me a little bit about the, the treatment you received um, initially um, and maybe expand a little bit on what you believed worked well? and what you also believe could be improved on uh, with a view to what, what could our listeners learn from your experience so it could enhance their care in the future? Yeah, so I, I suppose it was in three phases, really. From when I was on the day, I, I knew that help was going to come. Yeah, you know, I was, I was only three quarters of a mile around the corner from where the uh, hospital was. So I, I knew an ambulance wasn't going to take too long. Hopefully the ambulance, sure enough, pitched up fairly quickly and that was the first phase. What I didn't realise at the time was it was actually two technicians rather than a technician and a paramedic. And, and quite rightly, they realised it was a serious injury. And I think it was actually a little bit beyond them because it took an hour before I was uploaded onto the ambulance and we were actually starting to head to the hospital, which was quite a significant time, really. Lucky that it was summer, you know, it was, it was warm. It wasn't cold, wet radio or anything else like that. I just think it was a, a little bit beyond them. They kept on checking on their phones what they should do, coming back, trying it. And they got me onto a board that was pretty significantly uncomfortable, spine boards. And they then cut off all my clothes, or nearly cut off all my clothes. My T-shirt that lasted 10 years, that went. <laughs> they were going to try and pull off my boxer shorts. And I said, for God's sake, cut them off, just... Yeah, you've cut everything out, cut them off, don't just get rid. And then we went to the hospital. That was really phase two. And the ER consultant there, they took me into the recess bay and she was fantastic. She was brilliant. Very, very calm, but had total control of the situation. And I remember sort of feeling, right, I'm going to be okay. Somebody's actually sorting this now. And that was the first point I felt somebody was actually sort of sorting things they'd put a pelvic binder on me at the point of injury in the ambulance and she got rid of that she said absolutely useless and they, they put it too high so got rid of that they did all the pain relief there they, they gave me morphine how did that work not too good okay right we're going to give you fentanyl so gas man was called for that and uh, i was given fentanyl that was the end of any sort of pain it did go a bit sort of blurry in my mind at that stage. And I, I got taken off for all the x-ray scans and, and bits and pieces. And really, I suppose at that point, uh, when, when I came back from there, there was the, the dawning that it was quite serious. When they said, how, how much are you going to weigh? Or how much do you weigh? And we're going to fly you to the trauma centre over at Stafford. And then I went on the, the air ambulance. They, they, I remember they put me on a, a vacuum mattress. and that was fantastic it was I, I suppose like when, when you get onto a bed and it is just so comfortable uh, and you just lie back and you think oh yeah that was the same it supported me in all the right places it was comfortable and it was just and it held me still it was fantastic flew me to, over to um, a trauma center 
full marks to the pilot. I just didn't even feel it land. It was light as a feather, the landing. They got me onto the trolley, took me into the A&E department there. You know, the sliding doors with the little tracks. I felt every one of those tracks and that was interesting. So I guess the fentanyl had sort of worn off by that stage. Can hear the helicopter just going overhead now, actually. <laughs> then they took me up to the uh, the ward. It took six of them to move me off the trolley and slide me over onto onto the bed. Uh, which the, and it, it, yeah, it was uncomfortable, but the, the staff were very good after that with getting pain relief and sorting all that out. I mean, fascinating journey. So it's really interesting what you said that when you first arrived in the emergency department and the consultant, you said took charge. And that was the the first feeling that you felt secure. I I think what I'm getting from that is it's how we promote our confidence to our patients is really important to to make them feel that we're in control and they're going to be okay under our care. That sounds like that was a very important part of your journey where as soon as you got that feeling, okay, somebody's got this. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, I mean, there there was a story and I I, I don't know how many people were, were round and about. I've, I've no idea. There had to be at least six or eight, I suppose. And, but she was just that, I was going to say still small voice of calm, but it was still small voice of command, I think, because that's what it was. And she had, she was delegating, right, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, reassuring me. She told me exactly who she was, what she was doing, da 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 And it was, it was just, and I suppose also having come from a military background, you get used to people sort of, taking command of that type of thing and giving orders and it was just so reassuring to have that whilst everything's been explained to you at the same time mm, fascinating isn't it uh, how the the interaction and the relationship with the patient oh, is, is yeah. so important aside what we do clinically as well i, I think yeah. that's something i'm taking from this conversation so so james can you expand a little bit on the limitations of on movement that you had on your injury. The reason I'm asking is that various of the products that we design are there to put seriously injured people almost at point of injury. And it'd be interesting to understand from you what you believe are sort of good and bad features and products where, you know, when, when you were getting moved on to them. And, and just, you know, just to tell me what, you, what, what your experience of what worked and what didn't from, from a product point of view. I think from the from the initial points of injury where it and I, it was it was the most bizarre sensation as I say earlier, it was like I had a, a a dead leg in my backside that I could shake off that and everything would be okay. I also had what I later found out to be a massive hematoma from my left groin right up to my right hip socket forming, and that was just the most bizarre sensation. But I did feel the the initial sort of thought process was, yeah, just stand up, hang on to the gate and just shake your leg and you'll you'll be okay. Overriding that, though, was this little voice in my head that said, stay on the tarmac. You know, it's you're uncomfortable, but you're not in pain. Just stay where you are. Helps on its way. It was was a private drive. Nothing was coming up. Nothing was coming down. So there's no additional dangers. The horse had buggered off. So there's no additional danger, just stay where you are. So that was one. And and that was a self-imposed sort of limit movement. The second one was on the ambulance when I said that they cut my clothes off. Again, the intention was there to lift my legs up and 
take my boxer shorts off and it was like no chance you, you you're not doing that you know you cut everything else off cut those off and again i think it's actually you know you know it's going to hurt so there's no point moving you needlessly i mean christ sake, for the sake of a pair of boxer shorts cut them off it's it's limiting that movement the vacuum mattress was fantastic because it supported in exactly the right places and again that minimized movement was supporting me in the right places so again it's that support comfort minimized movement and i think later on in the hospital as well and again it's i mean body's a fascinating thing and it was my sister that actually told me this who's a physiotherapist and my right leg i mean i was black and blue swollen and black and blue and my right leg kept on dangling off the mattress of the bed and i couldn't lift it back up again to put it back on the bed it just did not respond i started to get a bit worried about this because i'm starting to think well hang on a minute you know why, why is my leg not working and she said no they, they do get it quite frequently with hip replacement patients and the brain realizes it's going to hurt so it switches off that function now r- rightly or wrongly i don't know but I think what she said was right, because once the sort of swelling and everything else started going down, I was able to then lift my leg up and put it back on the bed again. But it's, it's very clever, I think, how, you know, in those examples, don't move, stay on the tarmac. I know it's going to cut my boxer shorts off. It's, it's common sense. You cut everything else off. Don't move me. Common sense. And then the brain imposing that on me later on. I know it's going to hurt, so I'm not going to let you do that. So. Yeah, there, there were limitations of movement, but a lot of that came from inside that we know it's going to hurt. So let's just cut back on that. And I, I think when treating an injured person, it's really important to to hoist that on board. There's, there's no point moving somebody needlessly. Yeah, so, so suppose what I'm getting from that, James, is that if we are going to move you, there's got to be a clinical reason to do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah don't, don't do it just because we think we should put something in place which maybe it doesn't have to be there you know this is painful stuff so uh, keep it to minimum unless it's clinically significant what we're doing would that be fair comment you think yeah ab- absolutely if if it's going to make a significant contribution to the patient and, and yeah absolutely you know depending on what the, if you're looking for catastrophic blaze whatever yeah yeah of course you've got to mo- move somebody over and check their back and what have you but keep things to a minimum yeah, I mean, certainly that that's something um, I, I find really interesting because of a lot of the work we do in product design is about trying to get the product onto the patient with the minimal movement. So that that's that's why I suppose I was I was, I was asking around that question just to get a feel for how important that that those that, that application yeah. actually is. So it's, thanks so much for that feedback. So. I mean, it's a fascinating story um, from the accident itself to point of injury all the way through to definitive care and, and, and rehabilitation. But if you were to take anything from the, your experience and if you were to maybe bring three points out from your experience uh, that our listeners could listen to that could enhance their care in the future, what, what would those be? I think the first one, as we mentioned, was the command and control of that consultant in the recess bay. And that was so reassuring to me as a an injured person that somebody had actually taken a grip on the situation and had it all under control and it was it was going to be okay i think that was that's that's only you know i, I suppose if you look at different situations where there are multiple casualties that becomes even more critical 
but for a, a single patient or a single injured person, just knowing that one person has actually taken control of your situation at whatever level and has got it all under control, that was really important to me. I think that patient comfort, given that, I mean, you know, no, nobody likes being injured, nobody likes pain, but I think that is crucial all the way through as well. And the vacuum mattress, fantastic, absolutely brilliant. You know, they had them in the hospital. They, they're big bits of kit. And they were able to put me on one of those. And for, for that injury, that was superb. But I think that's also something that people ought to hoist on board that is, is really important. When I was being discharged, I think it was just taken that, oh, well, he's all right now. He can go home. And they put me into a, an ambulance bus, whatever. And they actually had to go back to the ward where I wouldn't get on the trolley. It was too uncomfortable. And they had to get pillows and blankets to pad out the, the trolley for me to lie on. So I think patient comfort's really, really important. Third one I'd say is kit. It almost goes without saying that if you're going to issue people with kit, you have to make sure that they're trained on how to use it correctly, whatever it happens to be. Because if it's used incorrectly, you know, what extra damage can it cause? What I'm referring to in this instance is the pelvic splint binder. And they just put it, tight. I mean, they, they had it way too high. And potentially, you know, if, if you've got an insecure pelvis, you can do serious damage with that on the, the organs behind. So, yes, any bit of kit, make sure staff know what they're going to, how to use it. The fourth item, which I, I think was actually the physiotherapist in the sort of rehabilitation side of it. And she was superb. The exercises and the pushing on and the, and the encouragement was absolutely fantastic from that point of view as well. So, I, I, you know, don't think just because you're out of hospital, that, that's it. But take on board, you know, that those types of services. And as I say, she, she was absolutely superb with that, which is I'd, yeah, I'd like to add that one in as well. Now, that, that, that's, that's really interesting. And um, the, the things I'm taking from that, James, is the, the, the main points you brought out are, are very human factors. It, it's your interaction with your carer that, that gives you that confidence. Mm. Obviously, there's this detailed clinical skills going on, but what seemed to be important to you and made the difference is having the confidence of somebody. Uh, that, that seemed really important. Yeah, then, absolutely. Yeah, and, and then that attention to detail, maybe not doing the highly skilled stuff, but the, the, the simple things like keeping you very comfortable and understanding that a bump hurts. So therefore I need to negate against that and do some simple things like pad you with the pillow. It, it's quite, it's, it's often, I, I often find this interest in talking to people who's been seriously injured that human factors seem to be so important to them, but often it's the simplest things that increase comfort is what they remember from it as well. So that, that's, that's, I find that absolutely fascinating, that, that feedback. And, and I hope that those are really good points that we can pass on to everybody. I suppose we're all the same. You know, if, if, if you get hurt, you want to go under the duvet, put it over your head, hunker down and um, hope everything's all going to be better afterwards. You know, you, you want to be sort of hugged and loved and you, you that everything is going to be okay. Um, and yeah, I, th I think that is critical, that sort of human interaction with that command and control as well. I've, yeah. I've got this. I've got you. Really, really, really interesting. So, so look, wonderful story, James. And um, and I, as I understand it, you made you made a full recovery. Yeah, full recovery. Been back on a horse, jumping, and I just haven't got time for it. 
working stuff at the moment, <laughs> as, as you'll appreciate. But no, absolutely great. And uh, been out on the um, bike a couple of times and pulling people around in stretchers. And it does make me think as well, you know, obviously with the job, with the stretchers. And, and it you can bring it through these points we've been talking about. You know, think about that when you're moving somebody on the stretchers and taking care of them. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's good good to hear that that loop is being fed back into the work that you're doing for us. Just on an aside, and it's something I picked up um, earlier on in our conversation, was uh, you, you said when you, you fell off the horse, James, and uh, you, you landed on your helmet. Um, I, I found that quite interesting because um, about two or three weeks ago, I, I took a really heavy fall on my mountain bike and I, I, that smashed my helmet, but gave me no injury. And I suppose what I want to get across here is if you didn't have a helmet on there and probably the same as the incident I had about two or three weeks ago, if I didn't have a helmet on, both of those incidents would have probably had outcomes of serious long-term head injuries, I, I would have predicted, given the mechanisms. And I just wanted to probably get across the point here, how important the helmet is in any sport where there could be con- contact with the head, I suppose. Oh, I absolutely. Totally agree with that, Colin. Um, I know we, we, we've all done it at some stage. I mean, I, I, Dad drove into us all the time, wear your hat, wear your hat, wear your hat, whenever we were on the ponies or horses. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so important. You know, we're not designed to go 30, 40 miles an hour and hit your head on something hard. And it doesn't have to be that hard, but we're just not designed for those types of speed. So, you know, protect it. Absolutely. I, I, I know in the past I've been out on the mountain bike and I haven't worn a helmet and I just thought, you know, you wear it on a horse. Why aren't you riding it? Why aren't you wearing it on your bike? That's just stupid. And yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Colin. W- wearing a helmet is a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. See, earlier on in the conversation, you picked it up and I just thought I'd use this platform really just to, you can't, I don't think we can ever put that message across enough. But well, like, what, what was also so good about it actually was as, as well as stopping any impact on my head, it actually held my head in a perfectly neutral position. I had no effort. I didn't have to support it or anything. It just held it right there. It's, fantastic. Yeah. Well, Luke James, what a fantastic story. The feedback from somebody who's been seriously injured is so important and, and we, we can learn so much from it. So uh, a huge thank you for taking part in our podcast and TSG Talk tonight. So if you'd like to ask any questions about James's story and any of the points he's brought out, we can all be contacted through our TSG Associates LinkedIn page or the TSG Associates website. Please feel free to ask any questions and contact us. Thank you once again for listening. We'll be back soon with another TSG talk with another unique subject or a unique colleague and probably a unique story. So thank you, everybody. And we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this edition of TSG Talk. We hope you found the content of benefit. Should you have any questions or require additional information, please visit tsgassociates.co.uk.